Last week saw the return of the Midlands Machinery Show, an enjoyable and productive couple of days. Well, we're absolutely delighted to be back. Uh, to see our exhibitors back with us and visitors. We had a really good turnout yesterday. I think the weather helped. We had some blue skies, which was nice. I'll be reporting from the Newark showground later and LRSN are innovating again. We want to try and create an outreach offer to take those nurses, essentially putting them on wheels and giving people the opportunity to access our services in other locations. Sean Sparling talks agronomy and Kit Dickinson from Openfield reviews the grain markets for us later. And after a week that saw the first couple of overnight frosts, we'll see what the weather has in store for us this week. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. So, back from a couple of weeks in the wet, windy wilds of Scotland, I'm Steve Orchard. Good morning. It's Remembrance Sunday and Wilfred Emmanuel Jones, MBE, famously known as the Black Farmer, has launched a new pack of sausages to raise money for Remembrance Day. Ten pence from every sale of the Poppy Sausage fundraising packs available in retailers nationally will go towards charity. And the packs have been designed by former Grenadier Guardsman Dougie Adams, a war veteran who finds comfort in painting following the trauma of war in Afghanistan and a diagnosis of PTSD. The sausages are available in pork, tomato and basil and chicken, tomato and basil, which sounds rather lovely. Sales will help raise funds for the charity The Not Forgotten, which supported Dougie in his recovery. New guidance has been issued to growers to help you plan your nitrogen applications following a sharp increase in the cost of fertilisers. The energy crisis has led to unprecedentedly high fertiliser prices of up to £2 per kilo of nitrogen and reports of prices per tonne well in excess of £600 with the potential to rise further before spring next year. As a result, AHDB commissioned ADAS to conduct a two-stage study to help arable growers and their advisors decide whether to reduce N applications, if so, by how much, and assess the impacts on yields. And the first stage, published by the Levy Board this week, looks at three major UK crops, wheat, barley and oilseed rape. And the price spike means growers need to factor a new economic optimum, or the point at which the extra grain produced is not worth the cost of the extra N applied, into nutrient management plans. Details are available on the AHTB's website. And sticking with the AHDB, they've warned potato growers that they'll face legal action if you don't pay the final statutory levy before the body is wound down. Around half of all growers declined to fill in their annual return following the vote to scrap the potato sector board earlier this year. This meant that estimates were sent at the same rate as last year, £42.62 per hectare planted. And new red diesel rules come into force in April next year, which have the potential to catch out farmers using equipment on construction sites. We'll talk more about this with Jill Hewitt, Chief Exec of NAAC, on next week's farming programme. Now, have you ever made use of Lincolnshire Rural Support Network's nursing service? If so, you'll appreciate the news that the service is being extended and put on wheels. Head of charity at LRSN, Amy Thomas. Amy, we'll talk about the Health Hut in just a second. Can we have a quick update on Farm for the Future? How's that going? We've just completed our welcome meetings. I'm really pleased to to see people. Some of those have been face-to-face, which has been lovely. We do still have places left. So if anybody is interested in coming along, we'd love to hear from them. And this is basically providing business advice in simple terms for the farming community who particularly are going to be affected by the changes in subsidies and so on in the in the coming years. 
Yes, absolutely. Um, it's a combination of business support, a bit of information about the new ELM schemes so that people know quite what they're facing, combined with some one-to-one sessions. And it's really with a view to making sure that people are in the right place to embrace change when it happens. And as you say, you can still sign up for that details on the LRSM website, yeah? Yeah, absolutely, on the LRSM website, or if uh, people want to get in touch by email, I'm more than happy to send them some information out. Okie dokie. Right, let's talk about your latest innovation, the Health Hut. What's that all about? We currently have nurses who run um, health clinics at Spalding Auction at Louth Market. What they do is they provide people with the opportunity to have a health conversation or health screening in a very familiar and safe environment. Um, and due to the popularity of those, we want to try and create an outreach offer. So to take those nurses, essentially putting them on wheels and giving people the opportunity to access our services in other locations. So basically it's a nurse in a bus or a trailer or a vehicle of some description. And where are you looking to get out to or is it just going to be at request? Uh, Well, a bit of both. Uh, We really want to get out to places like seed trials, to farm sales, to local shows. But actually, you know, if anybody's got an opportunity that would be a fantastic place for us to bring our nurses and their trainer, uh, then we'd love to hear from them. We want to try and get a really good countywide spread in terms of where we, we get out to so that we attract as many people as possible. And do you need nurses or have you got nurses in place for this? We are just in the process of reviewing that. Uh, Undoubtedly, we will need some more support. And similarly, we will probably be looking for some volunteers to help us with some PR and some welcoming people to the hut. So uh, there will definitely be some volunteering opportunities. So that's a very much watch this space. Okay. And when are we looking at launching this? It will launch in January. Uh, We're going to a bit of a soft launch and then we'll do a full-on launch in February. So at the moment, we're in the process. We've just had the trailer built, which is really exciting. And we're now in the process of fitting it out so that we'll be ready to start in January. All right. Well, good luck with that. Again, details will be on the website, I'm sure, in due course. They will. Lovely, Amy. Thanks a lot. Fab. Thanks so much. Take care. LRSN's website for information on their excellent services is lrsn.co.uk. Let's change the focus now to agronomy. Here with some timely advice is our crop doctor, Sean Sparling. Morning, Sean. A chilly week. Winter draws on, eh? Yes, morning, Steve. Couple of good frosts then in the last seven days. Two good rimy ones for me at home. I needed to defrost the windscreen on a couple of occasions. And as I said last week, best to stay away from spraying onto crops if that was the first frost since they emerged. You know, just giving it one night free of frost is enough to let the, the wax rebuild and protect the crop again. So once that emerged crop has had a frost on it and you've had a night without frost then from then on just stop spraying by about 3 30 in the afternoon preceding any forecast frost and don't apply to a rime covered leaf not least because of the risk of crop damage but anything you apply to rime whether it be the crop or the the weed you're aiming at is going to stick on the rime and wash off as soon as the rime melts aphids remain relatively hard to find for me spiders do not plenty of those still out there so where bydv applications are still to be applied i'm not panicking too much particularly out on crops where the drilling was delayed whether by design for bydv or whether because of the weather or because of blackgrass and since our tools for aphid control have been either taken away from us in the case of neonicotinoids like deter or have become impotent against the resistant enemy in the case of things like pyrethroids in those cases 
cultural controls like delaying the drilling and implemented IPM where we work to thresholds and beneficials like spiders, etc. are embraced and protected, especially on these later drillings, which are only at half to one leaf at best at the moment and haven't had anything like that 170 growing day degrees required to trigger panic. Now, if you need help to panic and you need help working out when to start to panic Syngenta have an app called BYDV Assist if you put in the drilling date the emergence date and the location that will calculate the 170 growing day degrees once that's reached then if you can find aphids that's when you start to think about spraying so plenty of spiders out there as I say still doing their job and there's a lot of data reinforcing what many of us have long thought about BYDV if you remember the last really bad autumn for virus I think it was 2011 if my memory serves uh, the only crops not affected by virus were those where the seed was treated with neonics like deter. Fields treated with pyrethroids, whether singly or multiply in that autumn, all had plenty of virus symptoms showing. And that tells you two things. Firstly, pyrethroids are nowhere near as effective as we would like to think they are. And secondly, the resistance issues are going to be far more widespread 10 years on than they were back in 2011. There was actually a study done between 2017 and 19, three-year study down in the southwest of the UK. The reason they did it down there is that's the highest risk area for virus in the UK. And they monitored aphids daily and weekly. Untreated fields were compared to single and multiple applications of pyrethroids. They had BYDB tolerant varieties like Wolverine. And there were five sites in all and they reached four conclusions. Firstly, there was no significant number of aphids seen in any of those three years in any of the fields. So nothing really worth treating. Secondly, no virus was seen in any of those fields. No leaf symptoms at all, which probably follows on from the first point. Thirdly, no yield benefit from the use of pyrethroids in any of those three years in those situations. And fourthly, no yield benefit from drilling a BYDV tolerant variety in any of those years. So in other words, in the BYDV hotspot of the UK, aphids are not a problem every year. They need to be monitored closely and not treated routinely. This year, we all know the traps have trapped many, many more than they would normally do, thousands rather than dozens. But it's absolutely crucial that we as advisors, if we're not finding them, we should not be spraying for them. That's what IPM is. So take account of that when you're making your decisions. If you, as I can and have been for the last three weeks, find more predators than pests, and those tens of thousands of little money spiders are predators, then you should be preserving those little predators by not spraying them. Aphids live for about a month, by the way, but they can be hugely prolific. They're born with two fully formed live young in the pipe and they'll give birth every eight days. And after eight days, each one of those young will produce young. So they can produce, they can be prolific. But if the aphids are over threshold, what I'm trying to say is, if you can find them easily and they're over threshold and the pest is outnumbering the predators in your field, then clearly you have to react. But do give it some thought and treat fields individually on their own merits where possible. You'll have hot spots on your farm too and you probably already know where they are. If you do have to spray, then pick a pyrethroid with the best beneficial profile because those beneficials are going to be helping us all through the winter and we'll carry on doing so right through next spring. So we do need to look after them. There were plenty of aphids early 
earlier on, but far fewer now. Now, the more leaf area, the higher the risk of virus issues. And that means that the earlier drilled crops are going to be higher risk. So do speak to your advisor. A lot of slugs about again, but do prioritise the recently drilled crops over established ones. Slugs do far more harm more quickly from hollowing the grain than they ever do from grazing. Ferrous phosphate doing a really good job this year. Monitor and trap for slugs as well, rather than just blanket bomb them. It's always the best approach. The cheapest approach too, of course. Slug numbers do vary considerably across the county and also across farms from field to field. So do stay alert. Allseed rape, more light leaf spot than there was last week. Nothing worth getting worried about, I don't think. So do keep your eyes open. And remember, it's not about controlling light leaf spot. It's about stopping it getting any worse within the canopy. And the cooler weather will do as much, if not way more good as the weeks go by in that respect, because a fungicide is going to give you three weeks protection at best. Uh, a good hard winter will give you several months. So eyes open, but do treat accordingly. Still way too warm for curb products, so do hang your fire there to save your money and make sure you get the most out of the product winter beans up and running quite nicely now at two leaf pairs but really nothing to do on winter beans as long as you've got the pre-em on you're sitting pretty until at least february so that'll do let's see what the next seven days bring thanks as ever sean sparling sparling agronomy services Last week saw the return of the Midlands Machinery Show at the Newark Showground, which gave many of us the chance to get out, meet suppliers, manufacturers and old colleagues and friends face-to-face. We'll have a chat with a couple of exhibitors in a moment, but first, Newark Showground's Elizabeth Halsell, who I saw on day two Wednesday, to get an idea of how the show was going. Well, we're absolutely delighted to be back. Uh, to see our exhibitors back with us and visitors. So far, so good. Uh, We had a really good turnout yesterday. I think the weather helped. We had some blue skies, which was nice. And this morning, visitors here again. What kind of things are we seeing at the show? We have got a range of our regional tractor and machinery manufacturers and dealers here. We have a grounds care Uh, we've got a new technology especially clean power this time so we've actually got a a ring that's demonstrating a number of companies Avant being one with their battery operated tractors and loaders we have a handling arena where we're actually featuring six different companies who are all showing what their telehandlers and loaders can do how many exhibitors have we got and do you know visitor numbers yet exhibitors wise we've got just over 200 here which is really strong Um, um, given that we are in still challenging times with COVID. Visitors-wise, we're expecting around 6,000 um, over the, the two days. And how does that compare to last time we did this? Very similar, actually, which is really encouraging. Uh, we weren't sure at what turnout would be, but we've had really strong registration or advanced registration, uh, and people who have registered have actually turned up on the gate as well. Which is good. And next year? Well, who knows? The dates are the 16th and 17th of November. We are hoping that we're through our post-COVID times uh, and we will bring back more exhibitors, who, some of which didn't come this, this year, um, and more visitors through the gates as well. Let's keep fingers crossed. Elizabeth, thank you. Thank you. There was a huge variety at the show of equipment manufacturers displaying their wares, some of which did demonstrations and hosted seminars, one of whom was Michael Jordan from JRH Water Management, talking about the cost savings and environmental benefits of rainwater harvesting. People like the Environment Agency and things like that are starting to talk about water storage, flood prevention, things like this, and rainwater harvesting slots very neatly into that. And it's just educating people that rainwater harvesting not only is saving water for them as a business but also 
ticks the boxes in environment agencies' eyes. And there's got to be a cost element to this. People are paying their water bills based on usage and so on, which is coming out of a pipe in the ground just like you and I would do at home. Can they get round that? Can they get advantages from using what comes out of the sky? Well, yeah, There's the first thing is if they're using rainwater, they're not paying for their mains water that they would have been for especially things like spraying. But also then there's the advantages of things with uh, being pH balanced. Um, also that there's uh, better reactions to spray chemicals. Um, the water's soft. Um, there's quite a few other sort of benefits uh, coming off using rainwater. Everything on rainwater harvesting all comes from roofs. So all the water is it, it, as clean as what we can get it from. You wouldn't take it from runoff of fields or the, the ground or anything because it's too contaminated. Um, but also just touching on the flood prevention side as well which is everyone's really talking about now you're slowing the water down you're storing water and what water is going to the drain from the system um, is between 10 percent or less so you've reduced you know you, you run off by over 90 percent obviously talking about cost of things and reducing your normal water bill by being able to use rainwater there's got to be a cost to what you provide though you're going to need a tank and presumably some kind of filtration yeah there's the, the sort of basic system would be obviously the pipe work coming from the roof um, the 30 micron filters and then the, the tanks everything's gravity so there's no electric involved so obviously there's no uh, cost to that um, on average if you were stood at us with the show today we'll be saying anywhere from sort of uh, one to six years payback is the average uh, we have got some people that have got under 12 months um, so it's in terms of renewable it's a very cost effective way of um, using water and if somebody's interested in this kind of thing where can they contact you michael well the best thing to do is either uh, what well, best things to go on our website jrhwatermanagement.co.uk Michael, thank you. Thank you. I've spoken to Michael on the farming programme before, you may remember, but one person who I've not met, as his company's new to the area, is Kevin Newman, director of Farrell Limited, who are a farming, agricultural, machinery supplier, plus servicing parts, etc. And they've just opened a large new depot close to the showground in Newark. Kevin, you're new to the area. You opened your new facility in Newark just a few days ago, but Farrell's not a new company by any stretch of the imagination. Just give us a quick 30-second pot history of Farrell would you? So Farrell's is a family owned business um, it started uh, by George Vellicott uh, in 1976 um, George uh, has got two, three sons two of the sons are in the business Matt Vellicott and Ben Vellicott um, and they basically have been involved in the business really since uh, early 2000s when we took on the, the John Deere franchise um, and we've basically just grown the business from one site now into our six sites across the country and you came to Newark, opened a few days ago, soft launch, as you described it to me a few minutes ago, yeah. and no doubt it'll be a bigger launch come the new year. What can we expect from the Newark facility? So the idea of Newark really is to have a base um, further up the country, because our head office is in Oxfordshire. We're doing uh, maybe 400 new, uh, new tractors a year, so we get a lot of used equipment, uh, there's a lot of new equipment, and this gives us a base further up the country which can spread our wings uh, for the used sales we want to do premium used sales from there um, and obviously we've got our, our, our tractors and combines and everything else we do from that site so we have full, fully fledged service parts uh, sales and technology sales there as well so the investment's about four and a half million pounds um, we're going to we're going to end up probably about 50 staff in due course um, and yeah it's just an exciting opportunity to go into a new area and find new customers to deal with 
welcome to Lincolnshire and York, obviously, and your John Deere franchise, do you do any other equipment? So we, we have John Deere as a main franchise, as you just said. So we're, we're Coon, uh, we have Bailey Trailers, we have Bomford, we have Teagle, um, and from a telescopic point of view, we have Kramer as well, which we found has been a really good uh, you know, uh, benefit to our, to our business, in, in the handler business, because not being a John Deere branded product, it's it's still in the John Deere camp, but it gives us the opportunity to get onto farms where perhaps people haven't had John Deere's um, with a new product, uh, which we find is you know very well accepted on the farm. Yeah. Now you're open to the farming community now. Where can we find you, and where could we find more information? So the site, as you said, is just opened on Monday. Uh, it's fully staffed now. We have parts and everything in there. Um, all the service team and the sales team there. We're just off the roundabout uh, on the A17 uh, at. Uh, uh, Godfrey Drive, uh, just opposite the Know How Warehouse. So, I mean, most people will know where that is. So, yeah, that's where we are. And come down and have a cup of coffee with us and have a look around. Kevin, thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you very much. And I must say, congratulations to Stella Hubbard from Farrell and the other winners of the Agricultural Apprentice Awards at the show. So, how have the markets performed this week? Back from paternity leave, here's Open Fields Kit Dickinson. Good morning, Kit. Good morning, Steve. The month's USDA report passed without too much drama and was perceived as mildly supportive to wheat and neutral to maize. In the aftermath, prices for both wheat and maize rose as the market got to grips with the reality that stocks are tight and are likely to remain so until the new crop in the hope that the stocks are replenished. This will necessitate almost perfect growing conditions, which of course cannot be guaranteed with concerns already being expressed in the Black Sea regions and South America. The tight milling wheat pitcher is not being helped by the rain during harvest, potentially lowering quality and pushing prices up to new contract highs. The saying law of unintended consequences can be applied to the Russian agmin who have this week hinted at further quotas and higher export taxes should Russian domestic prices continue to rise, which has only served to reignite the flickering flames of the bull market. Short of punitive quotas and or prohibitive tax or outright export ban, it is difficult to see how they will lower their internal prices. Rumours that China have bought Ukrainian maize this week surfaced amidst the rhetoric about record Chinese production, plunging hog prices, the return of Asian swine flu and multiple COVID outbreaks in various provinces, none of which has stopped Chinese daily and maize market from trading at six months highs. As the saying goes, watch what they do, not what they say. So looking at barley this week, recent numbers released by the AHDB showed that malting barley usage by UK brewers, maltsters and distillers was up by 44,400 tonnes compared to the same period last year. 444,400 tonnes of malting barley were used in the UK throughout July and September this year versus 400,000 in 2020-2021. However, malting barley usage year-to-date for July and September was down by 5% compared with the pre-COVID three-year average. The increase in barley usage reflects the increase in global beer consumption, which has risen by 11.9% over the last six months. Oilseed rate market remains very volatile, with weaker start to the week ahead of Tuesday's USDA report, knocking €14 off the values. However, this has been the case for a few occasions when the USDA report has come out with a surprise, which caught the market off guard for the soybean production and thus lowered ending stocks, kicking the market back to life and eroding any earlier losses. 
So looking at prices this week, feed wheat for November is 220 to 222, February 227 to 229, and May 230 to 232. Milling wheat premiums are circa 40 to 43 pounds. Feed barley for November is 207 to 209, February 210 to 212, May 213 to 215. And malting barley premiums are circa 30 to 35 pounds. Oil seed rate, November 567 to 572, February 578 to 581, and May 580 to 583. Thank you very much. Many thanks, Kit. Oh, I bumped into Richard Kay, Head of Brand and Communications at Openfield at the Midlands Machinery Show the other day, and he told me of their new Openfield app. It allows our members to access their accounts, view their loading schedules, get to London Futures, and actually sent chat messages to us as well. But the feature I really like is the um, the function where they can actually track the truck and see where deliveries are coming in and where the, the, uh, the driver is. How would they have done it before? They've just been on the phone finding out where's the truck? Absolutely, yeah. The, uh, the driver would uh, call the farmer and let them know or the farmer ends up calling the driver and saying where are you so now they don't need to do that they can just look on the app and, and see exactly where they are and how long it's going to take them to get to farm google openfield insight and you can download the app from there thank you richard you're very welcome the farming program five day forecast Quite a dry week by the looks of it, with temperatures around what you would expect for mid-November. A light north to northeasterly today, meaning highs just creep into double figures. It should stay dry though. Pressure rises from today and stays high for most of the week. Calm tomorrow with some sunshine and highs of 11, but the possibility of a light frost overnight. Similar on Tuesday, but a couple of degrees cooler and again staying dry. Wednesday and Thursday see a light westerly in the mid-teens, maybe a light shower or two, and cloudy with highs of 10 or 11, and the weekend's dry and a few degrees warmer. On next week's programme, we'll hear about the tie-up between a fast-food giant and one of the country's major agriculture universities, discuss the use of farming contractors and talk rural crime. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a good week.